Tactical Transition Navigating the Civilian Frontier Mastering Career Strategies Sharpening Networking Tools and Creating a Successful Transition Plan Hello everyone and welcome to the Tactical Transition Podcast. We focus on our senior military leaders as they transition from their military careers into the civilian job market, covering best practices, up-to-date trends, additional resources, and tips for landing that dream job. This is episode number nine. I am Cindy Poe, an executive career coach with ESOL Seminars, and I am here today with my battle buddy and fellow executive career coach, Michelle Lewis. Hi, Michelle. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic, Cindy. Um, uh, you know, we always start out our podcast talking about how excited we are about our guests, and and this one is no different. Um, but uh, I'm more excited for our audience uh, to to hear the conversation that we're going to bring in. So, um, if you don't mind, I'll just go ahead and and jump right into introducing. Absolutely, our- we got a lot. We got a lot to talk about. So let's let's get to it. Let's, let's introduce our guest. So, uh, folks, today our guest is uh, Colonel Retired Walter Hurd. Um, Colonel Hurd retired after serving 24 years in the Army, and he still continues his service as an Army Transition Division Director at the Human Resources Command Center of Excellence in Fort Knox, Kentucky. In August of 2010, uh, Walter Hurd accepted the position and immediately faced the challenge of re-engineering the Army's transition assistance program. And Cindy and I have a lot of vested interest in that and believe wholeheartedly in this program. Walter Hurd was commissioned into the regular Army in June 1983, becoming the sixth generation of his family to serve in America's military. He has served in over 25 countries and spent most of his career in special operations. Colonel Hurd has a bachelor's degree in history from the Center College of Kentucky and three master's degrees, one from Marymount University in human resource development, and the other two from Staff College and War College in strategy and military science. Colonel Hurd's professional education includes the USMC Command and Staff College and its second year School of Advanced Warfighting Program, as well as the Joint Professional Military Education Program Armed Forces Staff College at Norfolk Naval Base. He graduated from the Army War College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania in 2002, and has published, um, he is the published author of a book titled Unconventional Warrior, which published in 2013 with McFarland Press. Mr. Hurd, I'm very excited that you're with us today, and so welcome, and thank you for joining us. Hey, it's great to be here. I'm honored to talk with you two. I appreciate your service in helping uh, service members. And uh, I look forward to talking uh, with some some service members who are in that process of transition, be they young or old. So I appreciate your effort and always happy uh, to talk to soldiers and see what we can do to help them help themselves. (laughs) Well, we're going to use the word seasoned because often when I say old, they just kind of tune me. Yeah, though. So we are going to talk about more of the seasoned, <laughs> the old <laughs> um, transitioning service members. So, Cindy, you want to get us started on this conversation? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I was thinking about this as I was uh, putting together my notes and, and thoughts about this podcast. And I was thinking, you know, we always are excited to have a retired veteran. You've got that experience, but this is even more than that because now you are so deep in the tap process from from the process within from that very beginning moment i'm like this is like the perfect perfect interview because you've you've not only done what they've done and you've been through that transition yourself now you're leading that process of transition so there's all these little things i feel like people miss uh, in the transition process especially those who are retiring uh, uh, with 20 to 30 sometimes 30 five plus years, oftentimes, you know, they're told, you know, it's, it's not mandatory for you to go through, through parts of the tap, you know, you, you're fine, you have, and I feel like just from my experience with tap is that everyone should take advantage of every single solitary opportunity, every resource that is offered. It's free information. And I tell them all the time, this is the only job you're ever going to have that's going to help you get your next job. 
take advantage of that. You have all that inside information. So let's start there, uh, Mr. Hurd, with what do you, first of all, let's talk about the mistakes. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see our senior leaders making as they're starting this transition? Yeah, that's a great question. And I will tell you, whether you're a senior leader or a junior soldier, the most common mistake is the same. And that is they try to jam it in at the last minute and do the bare minimum. Uh, so therefore, the key to success, whether you're a young soldier or a senior leader, the key to success is to start the process and start thinking about it early. I tell people that TAP or transition is like physical training. And people say, that's crazy. What do you mean? I said, well, you don't wait until a couple of weeks before your PT test and try to do push-ups for eight hours a day, five days a week, um, and then do well on your PT test. It just doesn't work that way. What you have to do months and months and even years and years before your PT test do a couple of minutes of push-ups every day and a couple of minutes of sit-ups every day and a couple of miles of running every day. And then you're always ready for the PT test. And tap or transition is the same thing. Uh, if you wait until the end of your career, whether it's three years or 30 years, and you start thinking about it just the last couple of months, you've set yourself up for failure, tremendous failure. Um, make no mistake, tap is focused on the younger soldier. Admittedly and appropriately, because those uh, first, we have many of them, many more than we do seasoned soldiers, as you call them, call us. Um, and frankly, the their challenges are greater if you're a 23, 24, 25-year-old uh, young soldier than if you're a 40, 50-year-old soldier. Hopefully, by that time, 40 or 50 years old, you've figured out the ropes a little bit on your own. Uh, but the mistake, to, to give you a, a long answer to your simple question, the most common mistake uh, is waiting till the end and then and then pulling an all-nighter before the papers do and just cranking something out. So you're talking to a senior leader who is uh, knows that they're coming up on that time when, when they're leaving. What is the appropriate amount of time to, to begin? When should you begin planning that transition? Yeah, at, at a bare minimum bare minimum 12 months, ideally a decade. I love that. <laughs> you just made me it. very happy. <laughs> well, at some point in your career, you realize that you're in for the long haul. Yeah. Maybe that's five years in, maybe it's 10, maybe it's 12, 14, 15. But at some point you say, you know what? I'm here for the long haul. That's awesome. Comma. And then what am I going to do? Because everybody who comes in goes out. It's like yeah. death and taxes. It's it's going to happen. It might happen at three years. It might happen at 33 years. But it's going to happen. So um, think about it. Talk to your spouse about it and figure out, you know, what does that look like? What's the next chapter? Uh, and it, there's 100 different options. The only bad option is to say, I don't know. We'll just see what happens. That's the wrong answer. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of good answers. That's a really great message, even for those younger service members. Somebody comes in, they have their first tour and they're like, do I stay? Do I, am I going to leave? Well, you know, they sign up for another tour. That's at the point they should really, this should be that, that should be the message, right? That uh, speaking to everyone, it's like, you're always planning for that transition because, you know, we also have to consider that even if you're nine years in and you think you're, oh, I'm staying for the long haul. There's med boards. There's all oh, kinds yeah. of things that can happen. So yeah. having so, this transition mindset is not a bad thing. So Mr. Hurden, here, here's what I, I have seen as a challenge in that regard. Um, it's more the, the, the mentality, the thought process. So many times you have senior leaders that are so engaged in what they're doing in the military. They're great leaders and they're and they're dealing with high stress problems and they're dealing with fast paced problems. But more than that, from the beginning of their career, they have this team mentality. And they're, they're often feel, um, I don't know if guilty is the right word, 
but they don't invest in thinking about themselves because they see that as almost a, a selfish method to be thinking about what I'm going to do when I get out of the military, rather than focusing on leading their team, developing their, um, their training, preparing for deployment, whatever it may be. So what advice would you give that senior leader who, who views that as, I don't have time to think about myself right now because I'm so uh, dug into my, my uh, team? Yeah, my advice would be to wake up and get with the program. Do you do you make time for yourself to do PT in the morning? Mm-hmm. Probably. Do you make time for yourself to go to the get a physical and get your eyes checked and all that stuff? Probably. Uh, if you are such a leader that your organization cannot survive without you, perhaps you're not great of a leader. Dare I say it? Uh, but the job of every leader is to prepare the next generation of leaders. And it's not going to hurt if you're gone for a day or two or a couple hours here and there to prepare the rest of your life for success. Um, So do them a favor, lead by example. Uh, If, Mm -hmm. if the younger soldiers see the, the older soldiers uh, going to tap and talking about it and working on the resume, then the younger soldiers are going to say, hey, wait a minute, if the colonel's doing it, maybe maybe it's a real thing. Maybe I should do it. And I'll tell you another reason, um, and I'll give you just a personal vignette here, a couple of them. Uh, when I commanded uh, uh, an SF battalion, Special Forces Battalion, long ago, uh, one of my soldiers was retiring, a master sergeant I'd known for multiple tours because I did three tours in the same battalion. And as I was pinning the medal on his chest, a phenomenal E-8 Airborne Ranger, Green Beret, great guy, been to war a couple of times, a great guy. I'm pinning the medal on his chest, and I say, all right, so so what are you doing now? What's next? And he said, gee, I don't know. I really haven't thought about it. My first response was to almost slap him and say, well, what have you been thinking about the last 20 years? Is this a surprise that never dawned on you? And then my second response, and I did not slap him, by the way, but I was thinking that. My second thought was, wow, maybe I should have asked him that a year ago. Maybe I should have sat down with him at the chow hall six months ago and said, okay, so what's your plan? What are you going to do? So one of the reasons why it's important for leaders to start thinking about this early is so that they can ask their soldiers whether they're young or old. Okay, Special Sean, so what are you going to do? And and that question is, is a million-dollar question. And just dig into it like commanders do and like leaders do with every other question, whether it's maintenance or, or fire support or, or whatever. So explain your thinking to me. What's, what's your plan? And, boy, that'll make all the difference. Instead of, I don't want to hear it, man, I'm too busy. I don't know. That's not for me. That's not important. So, so again, uh, tap is like PT. When they see the, the colonel or the sergeant major or the first sergeant out there doing push-ups on a cold or any day, well, I guess it's important. I better go do some push-ups. But if they're not because they're too important and they have other important things to do, then that really sets the tone. That's a very – that's a – really great way to analyze that and break that down. So we're talking about, um, we're starting out talking about the mistakes that transitioning seniors make, uh, senior leaders make, and timeline being the number one, and we agree, we 100% agree. I always say, you know, well, we we try to tell everyone at a minimum, start two years, two years, at least two years. Uh, and I always say to do something, do something every single day that benefits your transition. If it's reaching out to a network or, um, you know, writing a accomplishment statement on your resume, whatever it is, do something today that helps your transition, research a company, something. So the timeline is definitely an issue and it is, I agree, the biggest one. So what are some of the other mistakes when we think about leaving the military? Because we know when you're transition out of the military, you're not just changing jobs, you're changing your entire lifestyle. It's a whole new thing. What are some of the other mistakes or misconceptions that people have about going from that senior leader into a civilian job market? 
Yeah, I tell you, there's a lot of things uh, that are mistakes, and there are a lot of things that are done very well, frankly. I'll, I'll give you kind of the flip side of that okay. same coin. Uh, as a mentor told me when I retired, uh, a good friend, former boss, uh, mentor, Brigadier uh, Les Fuller said, uh, it's not really a question of what can you do, it's a question of what you want to do. Okay, so after a career in the military, you can pretty much do lots of stuff, right? You've been doing it for 20 years, whether you're a platoon sergeant, first sergeant, sergeant major, whatever the Army gives you, you'll just figure it out and make it happen, right? Uh, running a city, going to war, training people, whatever, you just tell. But the key is to then segue to what do you want to do? What gives you reason to wake up in the morning? What really uh, puts puts wood in the fire for you and that's a whole lot harder question because that drives then who you are while you're in uniform who you are and what you do are frequently in the same sentence who are you i'm a soldier okay that's what you do but who are you and and when you transition off of active duty those two things are somehow separated because what you are ideally should be something more than, well, I, I was a soldier. I'm, I'm still ingrained in the army culture, which is all good. I certainly, that's part of my narrative, but, but who you are, you know, are you a family member? Are you a, a, a volunteer? Are you an entrepreneur? Are you uh, a, a big uh, a wall street CEO? Who, what do you do? Separate your job from your definition of who you are. And in the, in the army, that's, you don't have to worry about that because they're synonymous, but, but in civilian world, they're not. Uh, maybe who you are is a little league soccer coach. That's awesome. It's not what you do to pay the rent, but it deep down your core, that's, that's why you get up in the morning, right? To help kids or, or whatever. Um, I was fortunate in that uh, I got to combine a passion of helping people, soldiers in particular, with a career. That's not always the norm, yeah. frankly. That's yeah. kind of an exception, but that's okay. Um, so I think one of the big challenges is to really define yourself from a new perspective uh, in civilian clothes. Who am I? And once you wrap your head around that, then everything gets, gets simpler. That's very interesting. We talk a lot about branding. Um, in the in the uh, workshop, the seminar that we teach, we talk about branding yourself and that being just that. Think about who you are. Uh, we talk about the uniform. You know, the uniform didn't make you. You made the uniform. Um, you know, what does that character look like when that uniform is not on anymore? Um, so so deciding who you are. I love that. And And you said something, too, that I want you to speak to. You mentioned that you had a mentor. You had yeah. a mentor and I uh, talk about that, about the importance of mentorship. You know, that's a great question. And to be honest with you, it's hard for leaders to ask for mentors because, um, you know, we, we, heck, we've been doing it our whole life. We, we kind of got it figured out or so we think. Um, and I won't, I, I will tell you, I didn't ask for a mentor. This was a, a former boss who I'd worked for a couple of times uh, who retired maybe a couple of years before I did. And he asked me, you know, kind of talk, talk me through that. Uh, what do you want to do as opposed to what can you do? I started writing a list of all the things I can do. That's a pretty long list, frankly, but a lot of it, I didn't really want to do. Right. So that really helps us narrow down the search. Um, it, you know, senior leaders love to be mentors, but it's hard to ask for mentors. But if you think about it, it's very flattering. If somebody comes to you and says, Hey, uh, Cindy or Michelle, I, I need some help. Can you can you talk me through this problem? You're very flattered, and you're probably going to help them. Now they may or may not pay attention, but that's fine. And and it's all it's all good. It's all more information. Um, I'll tell you something else uh, that that he told me, which is a great one. And we've really kind of put this into the tap policy. He didn't know he was writing policy uh, 20 years ago, but he was. And that is, uh, and this is the same advice whether you're three-year veteran, 30-year veteran. There are three questions. And the sooner you prioritize those three questions, the better your future life will be. You don't have to answer them right away. 
So when a retiree starts this process 12 or 24 or months or 10 years prior, prioritize those three questions. One is more important. It'll drive everything. The questions are, where do I want to live? What do I want to do? How much money do I need to make? One of those three is the most important of the three. So pick whichever one is most important for you. And that allows you time to network in that circle. If it's, if the most important is where I want to live, then you network in a, in a zip code, right? In a town, in a region. If the most important is what do I want to do, then you network in that career field. You join associations, national conferences, you publish in that career field, you get expertise in that career field. Uh, if it's a salary um, uh, window, then the same thing. You you network in that, in that area. So uh, those are the kind of things that people should be thinking about throughout their life. Uh, as as you as youngsters, you know, young junior enlisted junior officers, and just kind of think about what does what does victory look like here? Uh, what's the most important thing? What kind of person do I want to become? A, a milestone is the next rank, and you know, the next deployment. That's all good, but what's the end state look like? Um, some advice I would give anybody, again, young or old, is to put the same deliberate decision-making analysis into the rest of your life as we do into any type of military operation. We go through an analysis before we go into battle with the facts and the assumptions and the, the enemy capabilities and our capabilities, a pretty deliberate process, but it all starts with what's the end state? What is it that our, my brigade wants to do what what does victory look like and we need to ask ourselves that same question what's what's the end state for me is it you know a super rich super famous is it is it going fishing all the time is it i mean what is it they're all good just define it and then start planning the milestones from here to there that needs to be a t-shirt made for tap what does victory look like <laughs> for transition what's this victory look like That's we need there's your, there's your t-shirt there's your t-shirt mr yeah. hurd there you go what does victory look right. like i love it well we'll put that quote and give you credit for that quote because that's true that is what does it look like for you if you are successful on the other end of this when you're dreaming of what success looks like for you and your family what what does that what does that victory look like and what is the most important we talk about that in class quite often what are those motivators uh in the job search is it location is it yeah security absolutely absolutely you know, it could be maybe. money and that's okay too people are always afraid to talk about if it's money if money is the motivator but maybe it is and it's fine but you need to yeah. admit it yeah. <laughs> and say the truth Here, so that you can get there you know here's something we tell folks during tap and boy i want to tell people here if you're talking money whoever mentions the number first loses the argument that's exactly right that's exactly so if right somebody says wow you're great you got all this experience what would it take for you to come work for me the answer is well thank you very much um what do you think um i'm worth and they'll say x amount of dollars and you'll either say man that's twice as much as i thought or you'll say forget it i'm not wasting my time with you but you want right. to make sure you say that instead of them saying that that's right oh that's yeah right. absolutely first one who says the number first loses so it's never a good yeah. thing so that i love that the that's the good. Secret, the way. There you, that's the back of it right right, um, yeah, that's right. So, so you said something um you know it, so if taking little notes here you said something when i asked about the um mistakes people made and you said there's a lot of things that are done well what are some of the things that are done really well? Emphasize a few of those because uh, yeah. the positive there. <laughs> right. You know, we can see uh, if you look at over time, those who are successful at transition and those who are not successful and the successful ones have some, some similar trends. Uh, they started the process early. We've talked about that. If, if you start, if you start the process early, you are twice as likely two times is likely uh, to get a job offer with more money, which frankly, most people are, are looking to get a job. That's the most common next step. 
another another great uh, key to success is to focus on your attributes more than your skills. And this is particularly true for leaders. So skill sets, uh, technical skills, which which leaders certainly have, uh, you know, mechanics can fix vehicles and, and airplanes, and, and that's a skill set, right? Uh, medical uh, folks can, can, can draw blood and shots and that sort of thing. That's a skill set. Uh, but what we found is that what industry is looking for is really the attributes of team and team play, uh, on time, right attitude, uh, make it happen kind of personality. Most skill sets uh, industry will teach you. I mean, think about it. Uh, you can learn a lot of things in three or four months, right? You can learn how to fix a lot of things in three or four months, but you can't learn how to work hard. Uh, you can't learn how to respect people. You can't learn how to uh, uh, get along and work well with others. Uh, you, you can, but really that's a motivational thing. And after a successful military career, you probably learned that somewhere along the way. And that's what industry is looking for. You know, we see uh, that most people do not follow their MOS skill set as a civilian employee right so what, the what army are, what are the stats on that what are the stats i was interested that was something somebody yeah. asked me how what is the the rate at which people stay within what they were doing in the military versus just totally shifting gears do you know those those i mean i hate not I, to put you on the spot but i'm just curious what those numbers are yeah we we do and, and i'll tell you what we do is track the one data point that we have which is employment versus unemployment okay okay so I can't report how many people are living in mom's basement on the couch because we don't track that. I can't report how many people have this epiphany of, you know, they're in Nirvana because we can't track that either. But we can report who's employed and who's not employed. Okay. So what we found out, and, and this amazes people when they hear it, is that combat arms soldiers, combat soldiers, infantry, armor, artillery, special ops, uh, aviators, uh, et cetera, special ops and aviators, are more employed post their transition than combat support soldiers who have direct linkage to civilian jobs, mechanics, uh, JAG assistants, uh, recruiters, HR professionals are more unemployed than machine gunners, artillerymen, mortarmen. So the latter, machine gunners, artillerymen, mortarmen, have there are no civilian equivalents, right? No employer, I don't think, is going to hire you because you're really good at headspace and timing on a 50 caliber machine gun, unless you happen to be working for the Browning Corporation or something like that. Um, but they're going to hire you because those attributes about team play, about focus, about can-do mission accomplishment. Um, so I think that's important to know. So your question originally was, what uh, what drives people to be successful in transition? And one of the things is they focus on their attributes. Uh, when they interact with companies and corporations, they, they talk about their attributes. Now, an example of those can be what I did in my hard skill, right? When it was hard to learn how to do something and I mastered it. Um, but, you know, we all, all old soldiers have lots of examples Um of things they mastered in the military, but don't have a civilian application except for the attributes. I was a I was a, a master paratrooper, which was really hard, and I worked really hard to learn how to do all that stuff and made hundreds of parachute jumps. Haven't made one since. I'm not going to make any more. But but that but the focus and the drive and the care for others and the working with systems that's beneficial. Um, the specifics on a jumpmaster personal inspection are, are not, but the concept is. And it's the same with every uh, professional soldier who's learned, you know, 100 skill sets, but it's really the attributes. So that's another key to success, I believe. Yeah, well, I think when we talk uh, in class, we talk about soft skills versus hard skills, the hard skills being yeah. the, the thing, yeah. you know. So, and yeah, those soft skills are what what industry is looking for. They're looking for the leadership. They're looking for the flexibility, the adaptability, all of those, um, those attributes. So it's, that's amazing. So um, one of the things, and then I'm going to 
pass it over to Michelle because I know we want to talk, uh, get a little bit into a conversation about special ops here. But before we before we do move over to, to those uh, specific services, when we're talking about our senior leaders, a lot of times um, what we've heard from those who are about to transition and those who have transitioned is um, they talk about their identity loss. You know, you've, yeah. you've, you've, you've wore that rank, you've wore, you know, everything's right there, you know, that identity loss and, and even just the, the community, you know, you lose that community a little bit. Um, advice about that from someone who's been there, done that, and also are still seeing others processing through that. Yeah, I tell you, that's hard. And that might be uh, the biggest selling point for starting early. Because then you can, in your brain, start thinking about who, who am I going to become? Um, and, and we're all in the same boat. I was certainly in the same boat, spent a lifetime working hard, made achievements. Uh, and, and that was me in front of the formation. Um, and then one day it wasn't. So you got to figure out, so what is, what is me now? Uh, and, and that's like PT, again, you can't figure that out in the last week. You have to figure that out years at a time, being a parent, being a sibling, being a spouse, being a, you know, vol volunteer or business person or whatever. Um, you know, I, I jokingly talk with folks uh, who are on deployment and getting ready for a deployment. And they may say, we don't have time for tap right now. We're getting ready to deploy. Okay. I know for an absolute fact, every soldier and every foxhole and every war at some point turns to their buddy and says, what are you doing when we get out? That's the oldest question in, in warfare, right? Um, so the, the, it's a topic. You may as well arm them. And so you can have a real discussion. Well, you know what? I, I think I really want to get into some skill set or some neighborhood or some uh, uh, monetary bracket uh, and then come up with milestones between here and there. Interesting. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's something that we talk about. And, and even when we get down and we, uh, we probably won't get into this discussion here, but just to, to touch on it and then, Michelle, I'm going to pass it to you. But um, even when we talk about the identity loss, there's also that that moment of when you get that disability rating and that, you know, we talk about we talk a lot with our service members who say, that really hits them hard too. There's there's a lot, there's just so much to unpack in all this. And so I'm just going to bring that back to, that's why you, just like you're saying, that's why you start early. You start planning yeah. all this. You start talking to everybody. You start using all of your resources. Um, this is an amazing program. I'm going to tell you when my husband separated from the military, it didn't exist. It was just starting. And so nobody knew anything about it. And I can tell you what I didn't know. And now I know is yeah would have been life-changing for us. And so uh, I think that's why it's such a passion for me is because we didn't have it, um, you know, when he left. And uh, so it, it's a, it's, uh, it's an amazing program. And then, and then we have so many um, resources piggybacking on it. And I think that's a great thing. I will tell every person that stands, uh, that sits in front of us when we're in front of a class, we will tell them, use all of your resources, you know, listen to everybody because somebody might say something that will resonate with you a little differently than someone else. So use all those. Michelle, I want to uh, give you opportunity to talk a little bit about um, uh, those special ops and those teams. So, Mr. Hurd, yeah, I, I've sat here and took, took notes while you're speaking. And I just want to tell you, you know, one of the things that we always talk about our, to our service members is that strategic planning part that you said they they've been strategic planners, um, you know, for the most of their career. And so we encourage them to use those same skill sets, that experiential learning, like you were stressing the things, you know, you know how to do, you know, how to plan, you know, how to implement you know how to be a team member. And so we absolutely stress that um, uh, until we're blue in the face. Um, the other thing I wanted to touch as you guys were speaking about the identity loss, I think one of the funniest, and, and I don't mean literally funny, I mean, you know, that that moment when you go, hmm, um, was I had a, a senior leader say to me, probably the deepest identity loss he, he felt was when he um, was training his replacement and he realized they were going to be so much better than he was. And he yeah. said, 
oh, oh, that would hurt, you know, but, but that's the reality is we do have that mindset that we're moving forward and we got to do this and we got to do that. And, and we do as service members, you, especially as leaders in the military, you do have those levels of responsibilities, but, but to, to uh, visualize that, that closing and then that opening of that next door, that can be something that a lot of our senior leaders put off. And that really was the focus that we wanted to bring to the table with, with talking with you. I want to shift gears, though. Um, I think I've talked to you offline a little bit. My husband spent many years with a special forces team, actually started his um career uh, in a fifth group and then transferred over to third group and then came back later and, and did all sorts of fun things with some of the, the special forces um, troops. And what we have uh, found in a passion of mine, and, and just so you also know, my son-in-law, who is active duty now, my husband served 30 years um, and my son-in-law is now in his 16th year um, and is has just completed a, a, his special forces course um, and is going into a, a team lead for them. So I have a little bit of a not only a professional vested interest, but a personal vested interest in making sure that what we're giving them, what you're giving them through the TAP program, what we supplement through our courses and, and try to volunteer and try to bring folks through and, and teach classes to, to several to make sure that they are successful. We uh, we specifically work with uh, with some special forces teams and things we hear, um, and so I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, things we hear from uh, those team members are, this is all I've ever done. This has been my small team. I've been so invested in this team camaraderie that losing it or leaving it um, is something I just don't know what I'm going to do, um, you know, when I leave. And and unfortunately, as you were talking about what do you want to do, they start focusing on what they know they're good at. Um, and a prime example, I had a young man talk to me about going into a, a company that really put him right back in the same fire that he's in right now. And I asked him, is that what you want to do? And he said, I don't know what I want to do. I just know what I'm good at doing. Um, and, and that's what I know I'm good at, but I don't know that that's the right thing for my family. So let's talk about those special forces and, and their difficulty with trans, transferring out of that mindset um, into something uh, of value, because that's what we know on those team members, they have got to step into something where they believe they're making a difference. Um, so any advice you would give that? And then also, if you would uh, uh, share any advice you could give us for the ones who say, I don't know how to describe what I've done because I can't tell you a lot about what I've done. Um, and so we've had very deep discussions, but I'd love to get your thoughts on that. So let's start with those two. Um, transferring out of the special forces teams and then how to talk about the things that they did. Yeah, great couple of questions. And, you know, as, as I said, spent my life in that organization. So, um uh, I think Aristotle's uh, theory was nature abhors a vacuum. Okay. And it does. If it's a vacuum in your life or a vacuum anywhere else, it's going to be filled by something. So uh, the need for drive and purpose uh, is something all humans need. And uh, frequently in the military, that drive and purpose is our job uh, in, in, in the, in the regiment, in the special ops regiment, uh, that's to the extreme, frankly, because uh, it's a it's a great job with great people. Um, my plan originally was to be in the army three or four years, and then and then get out and go teach high school history and coach football or something like that. But at the at that period, three or four years in, uh, I was in the first range of battalion uh, on the Honduran Nicaraguan border in the late '80s, and I looked around our little uh, uh, guerrilla camp in the middle of the triple canopy jungle. And I said, man, this is a superstar team here. I, I want to hang with them a little bit more. And then, you know, 20 years later, uh, I was happy to do that. So, so I think the key is much like other things we've talked about. If you start early and realize I'm not going to be on this A team forever, 
I'm not going to be in this organization forever for lots of reasons. One, this is a young person's game. All right. We don't want 65 year old people carrying rucksacks and parachuting behind the lines. It's just way too hard. Um, so you got to realize that real professionals prepare the next generation. And part of that is preparing themselves for the next phase. Uh, so nature pours a vacuum, figure out what it is you want to do next. You're not going to be there forever. Time does not stop. Okay. I've had some great jobs and I wish some of them could have lasted forever, but they don't. The process is for them not to last forever. Uh, so, so kind of think about what you want to do in the long run and think about those attributes. It's true. You can't, you can't tell a potential employer that I, I parachuted in on a top street mi secret mission and I conducted all these covert ops and you'll never read about it. You can't do that, but you can say I trained for extremely competitive, uh, high risk, high security operations was able to do several of them, uh, face to face and lead and mentor younger soldiers and, and bring them all home. That's all they need to know. Now, the fact is, uh, special operators do much better than the conventional force when it comes to post-transition because they have the attributes. One of the things that uh, uh, the entire soft community does is assess soldiers before they get into the regiment. They don't assess them for hard skills. They assess them for attributes, perseverance, uh, character. Do, the, do you do the right thing when nobody's watching? Uh, do you keep going when your body says stop? And those are the same attributes that everybody wants. Everybody wants those attributes. Um, so if soldiers um, on, on a team, whatever kind of team and wherever that team is, if they kind of realize I'm not going to be here forever, uh, and here's what I want it to look like. And here's some things that I'm learning today deep down in my soul, not just specifics of how to blow something up or how to shoot a particular weapon system, uh, but the saleable skills, they'll be fine. And the point is, from a data perspective, they're much better than average, much, 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 like three or four times better. Um, so uh, they have nothing to worry about but they got to do their homework. Right. You got to do right. their homework. Um, and, and not over, over classify what they've done. Right. You can't say, Oh, it's what, what do you move 20 years? I can't tell you it's all secret. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, when you can talk about it, come back later. Now I can't tell you that I did mission X at TOT at midnight right. on the 24th. I can't tell you that. Right. But we can certainly talk about uh, conceptually what we did. Right, right. I, I think uh, as we've worked with a lot of these teams and a lot of these uh, service members from that community, um, what I found with them is it, it isn't, it certainly isn't their capabilities. They are, you are absolutely right. They are top notch, incredibly intelligent, um, incredibly high attributes like, like you've, you've mentioned. It's often they have disengaged from their networks um, or just don't know how to do that networking. You talked earlier about where do you want to live? What do you want to do? And, and um, how much money do you want to make? We also talk about and what kind of corporate culture um, do you want to find yourself in? You know, and so do you have any advice on, um, on some you know, strategic processes for their networking? Yes, yeah. we do hope that they start that 18, 24, 36, even 10 years out um, with this process, but some of them, them haven't. So how can they play that catch up and, uh, and begin that networking process? Yeah, that's a great question. Networking takes time. You know, you, you just can't rush it. You can rush some things in life, but you can't, you can't rush years of networking. Um, so once you prioritize those three questions, you can begin the network in that in those circles. So what does that mean? Well, that means when you're on leave, if your answer is a geographic area, uh, when you're on leave, uh, several months before you go home on leave, you call the local Rotary Club and the local Oddfellows organization uh, and the local Chamber of Commerce, and you say, hey, uh, I'm going to be home in two months. Can I come to a meeting? I'm just, I just want to, and this is kind of awkward, but I just want to meet some of the locals. Uh, you know, here's what I'm doing. Uh, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. And, and here's the deal. 
all those organizations meet every week and they're always looking for guest speakers. That's right. So, so they'd love to have a guest speaker come in and say, Hey, I'm in the army. Here's what I do. I've been to these places. Here's how it all comes together. And Oh, by the way, I'm going to retire in a couple of years. and I'm coming back here. Oh, really? Let me have your card. Um, and, and, and that's how it's done. Uh, and if it's not geographic, maybe it's a job. Maybe I want to be a particular uh, uh, career field. Then I find the National Association, and there is one for everything, right? You name it, and they've got a national association, and they have annual meetings. And there's probably regional associations or maybe state or local chapters, and they all have meetings. And you network with them, and you go out, and you get to know them and let, let them get to know you. Uh, they're seeing you at your best. I've been a soldier for 20 or whatever years, so I know how to do it. So, so they see you at, at your best, at the top of the game. Um, when they see you as a civilian, two years later, it's all new to you, right? But when they see you as a That's senior right. soldier, you, you kind of figured something out, right? Um, so, so they have to take a deliberate approach to networking just like you would if you're going to war. You take a deliberate approach on how to train, what skills I'm going to know by this month and next month and the following month from individual to platoon to squad, or excuse me, squad, platoon, company on up. Um, And you do the same thing with networking. Uh, For my wife and I, who grew up uh, together in the same town, same high school, by the way, high school sweethearts, um, we knew 10 years before I retired, maybe 15, we were coming home. So that allowed us both to network with all of our high school buddies and, you know, college buddies and, and neighborhood buddies so that when we retired, we had a circle of friends. Uh, and, and I told them, which is unusual for the army because we don't like doing this. Hey, I'm going to retire in a couple of years and come home. What do you think? Oh well, yeah. You know, I've got a friend who's running this company who's looking for somebody who can just make stuff happen. Can you do that? I'm like, oh, yeah, I can make stuff happen. That's what I do. So soldiers don't like to do that. We just shut up and you get a set of orders. Okay, move out. And I'm going to go be in charge of something. Got it. But back to the one of my first questions is what do you want to do? And that's a hard question to answer. But uh, it's especially hard if you wait till the last minute. Uh, I'll say, you know, one more thing about about spreading out tap over time, go early, go often. A lot of senior folks uh, and still a lot of junior folks try to do tap in a week. You know, I'm just going to wait three months before I get out. I'm going to do Monday until Friday and then I'm done. Uh, And I'll tell you, it's virtually impossible to start tap fat, dumb and happy on Monday morning and be an expert by Friday. You just can't get there back to the PT. I can't sit on the couch for six months and then all of a sudden start doing push-ups and sit-ups and be be ready to pass the test on Friday. It just doesn't work that way. That's right. Um, so so that's regardless of MOS, regardless of age, I think that's the real takeaway. In your particular case, every case is different. Your expectations are different. Your goals are different. Your background is different. So so spend some time and and kind of flesh all that out and write it down on paper. Come up with a plan early and then you can adjust it and then you can get ready and then you can network and then you can be successful right or not it's up to you i have to tell you i absolutely love that you're saying this you're reinforcing what we 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 teach the very first part of our class is really about what do you want to do you know what environment do you want to go in what do you want to be successful uh, or what do you enjoy doing that 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 balance trying to find that balance in life um, and especially when we are teaching the the SF teams for a split second, they want to kind of push past that because they already have an idea of different jobs that they could start researching and everything. And we take them back mm-hmm. to, you yeah, know, what is it you would enjoy? What do you know you want to do? What do you know you don't want to do? I mean, that's just yeah. as important. What right. environment do you know you don't want to be in? And so I love that you are reinforcing that because especially on your special forces team, there are so many jobs out there that they are going to be successful in. 
That doesn't mean they're going to love it, though, and that doesn't mean they're going to want to do it. So they need to invest that time at the beginning um, to evaluate what's important to you, what brings you that balance with your family. Like you mentioned earlier, going out and being the soccer coach, you know, what provides you those opportunities? And then from there, we can start finding the jobs that fit into those. Uh, You know, what Cindy and I refer to it as the aim small, miss small concept is, you know, let's narrow it down to what fits uh, everything that's important in your life. But in order to do that, you got to figure out what's important in your life. So I I truly appreciate you um, reinforcing that. This has been uh, an amazing show. I I can already tell that we're going to be reaching out to say, hey, we want to talk about this. Let's do another one. But we have reached our time. And as always, we'd like to end um, our show with uh, our guests telling us a fun fact about them, because I find that the audience loves to connect uh, with the people. Uh, And so, uh, Mr. Hur, tell us a fun fact about you that maybe some people might not know. Oh boy, I don't know if I have any fun facts. Um, um, I will tell you, my I didn't know it at the time, but years ago, I went to visit um, Arlington National Cemetery. And you've been there or certainly seen it, a beautiful, uh, serene place overlooking the Potomac. Um, and, uh, and at the top is the Arlington House, which was Robert E. Lee's house that looks over all the way down to the Washington Monument. And I read a bio of him one time, and and uh, before the Civil War, he was kind of depressed, writing home to his wife and said, well, honey, I guess this is about it. You know, it's been a good ride, but I think it's over. It looks like I'm just going to, uh, you know, retire as a colonel and sit on the front porch of the Arlington House looking at the river. And I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good picture. That's what I want to do. So, so we kind of focused our, you know, life towards that, you know, not the Arlington House, obviously, or the Confederacy or anything like that. But uh, he had a picture. Uh, and, yeah, so that was kind of our picture to come home uh, to the family farm and somehow contribute to society, but at the same time uh, enjoy our life and our blessings and our family uh, that we've been very fortunate, both of us, uh, to have. I love that. That's amazing. That's, you know, we should all have that picture. Everybody should have that picture of what does that, you know, that serenity in your life. You've earned it. You're at that point in your life. You've earned that serenity and that, that place of joy. So I love that. That's a great, uh, that is a fantastic way to end this, this episode. Um, but I want to thank you so much for your time today. Uh, this was another fantastic show. Uh, thank everyone uh, for listening. We appreciate your time and we will never waste it. And to our transitioning military veterans, our focus is to bring you the aim small, miss small concept and hone your focus into each transition process step. Until next time. Thank you. This has been the Tactical Transition Podcast. Thank you for listening. Be sure to push the follow button on our podcast and subscribe to ESELseminars.com.